attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. and welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I am your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. This week's guest on the podcast, David Fine. David has a long-reaching history with camp, even though there was a couple of generations that were skipped without a boy, but you're going to hear all about that. He's also a father of a couple of campers, so great stories with him. Before we get to that, a big shout out to everyone that took part in the Camp Ojibwe Bricks of Fame. Thank you so much. Your efforts are helping to keep this project going. It's been a big success. You guys are awesome. And let me just double down by saying, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for taking part in that. The Camp Ojibwe History World Tour slash National Tour has begun. I'm in Chicago. I spent this past week getting a lot of uh, a lot of new podcasts recorded, meeting with several guys from all over the place, age-wise. I definitely interviewed one of the oldest guys I've interviewed at all. And I also interviewed one of the youngest guys I've interviewed at all. So a lot of new stuff in the pipeline. You're going to love some of that stuff as it comes down. Again, let me say, if you're out there and you're on the, the West Coast or the South, I'm going to be coming through, catching up with some guys all over the country. So if you're out there and you'd love to be on the podcast, let me know. Drop me an email, Christopher at CampoJibbleHistory.org. Or, if you're local, but you know someone who's out there who totally should get interviewed, drop me an email. Let me know. I'm going to have a pretty flexible schedule, and I want to be able to get as many guys as I can while I'm on the road. So, help me out with that. Okay, enough of that. Here we go. David Fine on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. Where it began I can't begin to know But then I know it's growing strong First and foremost, please state your name and years at camp. David Fine, 1979 and 1980. Nice. So tell me how you found out about Camp Ojibwa. Well... I think I found out about Camp Ojibwa uh, the second I was born, um, <laughs> in, in that uh, in that I had some family lineage there, um, which uh, you know I started hearing about really f- from the time I I you know can remember remembering. Right. Um, my uh, grandfather went to camp there um, and was uh, I believe the first camp manager, as they called it. Um, as a counselor where he would run all the errands and run oh, the yeah. town, maybe pick up the mail, 
pick up stuff in town, drove sure. one of the red trucks. Uh, so I heard about camp for a very long time as a kid growing up, uh, but didn't end up going till I was uh, uh, 12 mm. and 13 years old because in those days, camp was eight weeks only. Right. Right. And uh, I still was clinging to the notion that I was going to be a professional baseball player, and I played baseball. The baseball season didn't allow you to go to camp sure. for eight weeks back in those days. Okay. Awesome. Um, and just so we don't miss it, uh, what was his name? His name was Nate Cohen. Um, he uh, he was a Chicago kid, grew up on the west side. Um, he had uh, gone to camp really from a young age, Was a, was a – a camper, a counselor, and then camp manager. Mm. And uh, his father uh, was one of the original folks who lent Al money Oh wow! to buy the camp uh, okay. when Al found that property. And wow. uh, so he was one of the early, uh, early investors in the original camp. And uh, I don't know what the promise was. It, I think it was to pay it back over X number of years. And I think X was like, 5, 10, 15, 20, mm. and I think Al paid it back very quickly. Yeah. Like in the last year or two, like camp really got going. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, as you can imagine, I had a long history uh, of knowing about camp and camp in our family. Yeah, absolutely. So for you personally, when um, when it was time for you to go to camp, did you get a camp call? Did they come over and... Yeah, I, I, got, uh, I got the full regular camp call, uh, even though I knew all about the camp, um, our family has a house down the street from camp, about a mile down Mita Lake Road. Okay. So it's not like I didn't know about <laughs> camp and hadn't heard about it, sure. but um, Mickey came to the house. Uh, in those days, it was the uh, the Super 8 movie reels. Oh, sure. And uh, I think we even had a... Uh, we even had like a movie screen in our family room in our house that we pulled down. They didn't even put theirs up. And, <laughs> you know, they played the move the movie and and asked questions. And you made uh, it easy for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I remember that very well. Uh, sitting here over over thirty five years ago, uh, yeah. that movie. That's awesome. And so right away you're like, okay, this is great. I'm gonna go. Yeah, I mean, I you know it had taken me a while, obviously, to get out of my head that you know baseball was not going to be my my career. And, you know, it was a little different going to camp. I went to camp with really nobody I knew. Mm. Um, so my camp experience probably a little different. And in, in that era at camp, I would say for the North Suburban kids, it was about 95%, if not higher, Highland Park mm. kids. I lived and grew up in Northbrook, small part of Northbrook that, like, went to New Trier. Gotcha. So I didn't really know anybody going there. I knew one kid um, from, maybe two kids from my Sunday school class. Mm. But other than that, it was kind of, you know, this new thing for me. I wasn't going with any friends or anything like that. So it was kind of a new experience. And even at that age where I was a little older, it was still a little uh, daunting. Yeah, sure. Certainly. It, it's funny because I hear guys talk about that from that sort of 70s, 80s period where you know, we don't, I don't think about it so much today because there's a lot of Deerfield kids, a lot of, you know, Glencoe, yeah. Buffalo Grove, whatever, these guys come in, and I don't think about it so much, but it really was isolated then. It was really, really Highland Park. Yeah, it was really Highland Park. Uh, small group from Glencoe when I was there. There was, there was always a few city kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, as a kid coming from Northbrook, I think I was probably one of two. Mm. Um, so, 
So yeah, it was kind of a different experience in yeah, that regard. For sure. A little tougher to get it to sort of get in. Yeah, you just didn't you didn't have the built in relationships yeah. before you went there. You really were making all new friends and uh and that part of it was a little scary still as a kid. Sure. But, you know, it it all worked out and <laughs> So you head up to camp, no doubt on a Keishan bus, I would assume. Yes. Went <laughs> and, up on uh, a Keishan bus, exactly. What's the first thing you remember about Camp Ojibwa? The first thing I remember um, from being an actual camper was uh, the bus rides seemed longer than I remembered the car rides mm. because I had been used to doing that. But the bus ride just seemed like forever. I seem to recall we used to stop for lunch somewhere mm. along the way. Uh, I think in those days they didn't even have bathrooms on the buses, so mm, that's why sure. they did that. So it was like a long trek up there. <laughs> um, when I got to camp, though, I just remember um, I remember getting assigned my cabin. Um, and my, that first year of mine, I was in cabin nine, um, and I, I didn't know a soul in that cabin, but one one boy that I had gone to... Um, I had gone to religious school with Sunday school with, I knew, but not very, you know, we didn't know each other well, but that was the only person I knew. Wow. Uh, Yeah. yeah, So for me, it was, um, you know, I had to make all new friends basically that I was going to be bunking with for, uh, the next eight weeks. Yeah. Now, having said that out of that crew, are there guys who are still friends, you're still friends with? Yeah, there are. I mean, it's kind of funny. Um, uh, Michael Gray um, is a guy who lived in Highland Park, uh, who I mentioned I had gone to Sunday school with. He lives around the corner. Uh, our uh, His middle child and my oldest are, are friendly. They've mm. gone to school since they were little, so I see him. Um, John Whitehead, uh, Paul Ludwig, uh, guys like that. I still see. Uh, w- we, I wouldn't say we stayed like close friends. Sure. But... Um, we see each other. We live in the, the community together, and uh, nice. it's just kind of nice. Um, there is always, you know, there's something about that bond from camp. I was not in a fraternity in college, mm-hmm. and I, I sort of view that Ojibwa background, whether you were there one year or 15 years, it's kind of like this little sense of community and almost like a fraternity. Yeah, and I, absolutely. You know, I could tell that story going through... Um, whether it was, you know, in high school, when then I went to high school and there were some people from there, mm. college, um, law school, business, there's just, it's just kind of an interesting dynamic where everyone seems to have some common, you know, some commonality and some bond because of that. Yeah, that Ojibwe family is big. <laughs> yeah. Far reaching. Yeah. Um, so as a camper, what were the, what did you dig? What were the things you were into? Uh, camp, at camp, I love softball. Mm. Um Baseball was my favorite sport then, so I loved loved softball. But I never really played any softball till I went to camp. I was always hardball that mm-hmm. I played it as a kid. Uh, whether it was when I was younger, when it was still the twelve or fourteen inch ball, and then when you got to um, where you played with the sixteen inch, right? That was something at that age at home I had never played. It's you know Chicago style softball, yeah. And I really loved that uh, without the gloves. Um, basketball was probably my second, second favorite sport. Uh, so playing uh, basketball camp was fun. Um, I was a big water skier as mm. a kid. So, 
um, I probably took a lot of advantage of water skiing there at camp where sure. there weren't as many kids who did that. Um, and, uh, that was one of my other, like from sports loves. Um, so a lot of that volleyball, I had never played volleyball till I went to camp at mm. that age. So, um, those are probably, I would say the, the favorites they have from the athletic side of it. Nice. Yeah. Uh, did you see camp as being, I mean, was the, were the sports the thing that really drove, drove you to camp or was it more about the camp and then it happened to be a sports camp? I think a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, you know, it was funny. It was always something that was, uh, in my family, understood at some point David was going to go to camp. It was just a matter of when. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I had a, a grandfather, obviously, who was so involved with the camp, had two daughters. Mm. So he had no sons to send there. He then had three granddaughters. Oh. And then I finally came along. I was wondering, with, so, with that huge gap, I was like, so it must I have was, been daughters. I was the only male, you know, in that next generation. So people used to joke, like, uh, you know, why did you wait so long, or what, what did it take? And it's a funny story. You know, when you're kids, you, like, put on shows and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to do that as a family at the house in, in, uh, in Eagle River. And I remember one year... Um, my older cousins dressed me up and I think they put makeup on me and maybe a wig. And when I came down after that, my grandpa said, he's going to Ojibwa next year. Enough of this stuff. (laughs) And and, uh, so I think that was one of my indoctrinations where it's time to go to camp. And, you know, I, I don't think it happened the next year, but, but shortly thereafter I was ready and I went and uh, it was about the camp experience. It was about being away from home, you know, too. Um, and uh, the sports part was just, you know, an added bonus. Yeah. Yeah, because I was a sports kid. I, I loved that and, you know, played a bunch of different sports, you know, at home and um, loved that aspect of it, the competition aspect of it. it sure. Yeah. So in those days, camp has started to lighten up a little bit in the, you know, total sports, total competition camp that it had been, it yeah. had always been. It is starting to kind of come around. Um, but one aspect that, is always there throughout both those eras is the other side, the entertainment side, the whether it's the Jubilee or Intercabin Sing or Song and Stunt Night. There, that aspect, those things always are a big part of camp too. Uh, are there anything in that area that you were particularly fond of or took part in? So I, I was in Jubilee. Um, I wasn't a big... Uh, it, that wasn't big for me. I mean, I remember participating. I remember mocking some Billy Joel song and some skit that I can't remember <laughs> right now. Uh, but it wasn't a big part of it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably was not that artistic of a kid, uh, sure. and it just wasn't a, a priority. Uh, I remember movie night and so in a movie night story uh, that you asking this question yeah. uh, uh, reminded me of, and that was... There was a movie called The Taking of Pelham 123. Okay. They made a remake of that a few years ago. Oh, I, I went to actually went to see the remake in Eagle River. Okay. And the two guys from camp I went with were the only three people in the place. Okay. And it was awful. Yeah, it was awful. But the <laughs> but, original, Yes. they showed movie night one night at camp. Okay. And um, whoever, well, Elliot, I think, was responsible for the movies back in those days. Sure. He may or may not have screened it properly <laughs> because uh, 
there were three expletives that were repeated. And they were repeated once, and you heard some rumbling in the back from mm-hmm. from Pearl and others. Uh, <laughs> and then it happened a second time. And then it happened a third time, and the movie was cut. Oh. Movie night was over. <laughs> this was inappropriate for the kids. <laughs> and taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3, I would never forget that movie from that night. Wow. Um, yeah, that's where movie night came to an abrupt halt, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure Elliot uh, heard quite a bit about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Uh, so those things, those were a part of it too. So you had like movie nights, late evening activities, things that weren't necessarily sports, weren't you know? But they gave you, they mixed it up a little bit. Yeah, I love like the campouts and the cookouts mm. and all that. Uh, do you guys do like overnighters, things like that? So at my age, uh, back then, we didn't. I don't know if it was one of those where you had on trip day where you had a choice of what to do where you could do an overnighter, but we my two years there I did not do any overnighters. Mm. I would have loved to have done that, Um, but but uh, our cabins didn't, or or at least I didn't choose to do that then. But Mm -hmm. no, we didn't have that. Yeah, it definitely seems like the the interest in that stuff kind of comes and goes over the years. Like we're not that camp. Like that's not our focus. So we either have you know, 20 guys who love it and want to do it for a few right. years, or we have, you know, guys who are just like, eh, we're good. <laughs> we'll just stay here and sleep in our comfortable bed and right. play softball in the morning. Right. Yeah. Um, but in general, you liked the camp, the camper experience. You had a good time with the camper experience. You made friends. You yeah, didn't... I loved it. I mean, it was a great experience. Um, even though I only went a couple years, mm-hmm. It was a great experience. I mean, the whole bonding experience, getting to know new people for me. Um, you know, I I became close friends with someone. Uh, my second year at camp, we were in the same cabin. His name was Todd Sandler. We ended up being assigned to the same homeroom in high school. Hmm. Wow. Um, so we were together for four years of high school. You know, both went off to college, different places, came back home. Ended up living together for about three, four years, best men in each other's weddings. And, nice. you know, that friendship really started at, at camp, um, you know, where we developed a friendship and then it grew over time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, there are similar uh, friendships like that that maybe started then. They sort of went away for a while and then people sort of reemerge in your life. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, ended up going to college with some people who went to camp who I was friendly with. Um, and we became great friends, Mm. uh, later in life. So it was just that camp experience and and that sort of seed that was planted. Um, yeah, I loved it. I loved it and was really excited and anxious when it became time for my kids sort of decide what they want to do. And obviously, um, you know, I had my own inherent biases where I sure. wanted them to go to camp, but we let them look, my older one at least, look at other camps, but there was no doubt in my mind where he would hopefully end up if he did. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, so so sort of transi- transitioning to that, uh, tell me a little bit about that process. How do you, um, especially being that sort of skipped generation, one male who had to carry on the Ojibwe bloodline, yeah. how do you sort of rein it in to make sure you give him the choices? So, or? so what we did was... Um, you know, uh, my my son, when it was time to think about camp, so we did the formal Ojibwe visit. Mm, nice. You know, we went and had a tour. Joel walked us around. Um, 
And, you know, we looked at a couple other camps just to give them a different flavor for the other camps up there. I think we did it all in the same week or weekend that we were up there. And just left the decision to him. And mm. he, made, he made his decision and he wanted to go there. And uh, I think he made that decision before he knew anyone really going there. And mm. it ended up that, you know, a bunch of his friends have ended up going there. And he just, he loves camp. And it was... Uh, it was a decision that, uh, you know, for me, um, how camp has changed over the years, it's like that stigma still is there. It's so hyper-competitive. You have to be this, you know, top-of-the-line athlete to go there, and it's so competitive, and you can get lost if you're not. Notion is still out there for anyone who grew up around Chicagoland, right? Sure. It is, that, that stigma still stands today. And I say, no, 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 it's so different because as everyone knows, you know, if you're that athlete, unfortunately, you can't really enjoy camp like you used to because you're training all year long now with the way stuff is. And so, you know, I I tried to convince my wife of that. Uh, She wasn't really sure. And, um, you know, we let him make the decision and he did. And uh, he's just loved it. I think almost each year more than the next as he's getting older and enjoying it more um you know we did we too had that uh home visit and Mm -hmm. you know uh, i think then it was dvd uh, oh sure of course but um, (laughs) but i I might have made that dvd in fact it's possible (laughs) Uh, but i remember uh i remember joel coming to the house and, and giving that and uh it's funny we didn't even ask for it with my younger one because it was just such a done deal he didn't yeah. really need to think about it it's <laughs> where he knew he wanted to go so that there was no uh decision maker right yeah there. do you find yourself uh being able to sort of vicariously get that camp feeling yeah, again through sure. them and for sure i love that i love hearing the stories i love um you know the activities i mean they love the sports aspect of it uh, my older son josh loves the outdoors aspect of it on top of the sports too i mean he he loves fishing and outdoors and barbecuing and, you know. Nice. He was the head cook for his cabin, uh, oh. his counselors told me, for Very nice. cookouts. And, uh, you know, he loves that aspect of it. And for for him, when he went, um, probably the most re- um, uh, memorable thing as a parent was, you know, he had had a rough school year the first year he went, and uh, towards the end of the year, we really didn't know how camp was going to go. And mm. I, and I, uh, I remember, you know, as parents do now, even you know, saying something to Joel and and Rachel, just watch out for him. He had a rough year or whatever. And you know what, camp was like the greatest thing for him. He grew up as a person. He got more confident in himself. Mm. Uh, became more of a leader. Uh, it was really. Uh, fascinating and nice to to watch and it really was you know at a time as a kid growing up i think could have gone either way sure yeah and uh he just had a great experience uh from it and it's just i think grown from it every year that's really great yeah one of the great things about this process with the podcast i mean talking to guys about their stories obviously we're having a great time we talk about camp but the guys who are multi-generational and get to talk about them and, and them watching their kids go through yeah. the things they went through and, and experience that. I mean, it's just, you can just see the pride and the love and, and all that Ojibwa stuff also mixed in with it too. So it's, yeah. it's great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Being multi-generational, you know, for my first year at camp, um, 
I had probably some added uh, privileges mm. uh, that other kids didn't have. Uh, and I'll tell you a couple uh, stories in that regard. Uh, <laughs> one was, um, so my birthday is the 4th of July. Oh, so nice. your birthday happens over the time you're at camp. So my my first year at camp, um, uh, Mickey, uh, Pearl, uh, Al were like, sure, you can leave camp with your cabin uh, and have a little party. So my parents drove over, my grandparents in their pontoon boat, took the whole cabin out for like an hour. Wow. We cruised on Catfish Lake ate, you know, ate a birthday cake, whatever, and came back to camp. Um, that was kind of a nice perk that in those days... Not even in these days. Yeah, yeah for sure. It <laughs> uh, was a nice little perk, and it was fun. And I still have pictures from that, uh, and it was a fun experience. The other thing um, was um, my grandfather being so close to Al and having such a history with him, he, he worked but would come up to Eagle River every weekend. He'd basically fly up on Fridays, go back on Sunday nights. Nice. He'd come up on a Friday, and where would be the first place he'd go Saturday morning as he'd meander over to camp to keep an eye on his grandson, his only grandson there at camp. And that repeated for a number of weekends mm. to the point where uh, Pearl uh, turned to Al and said, Al, you got to tell Nate he's got to stop. It's just not fair to the other kids. If you're not going to say it to him, I'll say it to him. <laughs> but you got you got to tell him it's just not fair to the other campers. Sure, yeah. Um, and so uh, I, of course, did not know this story at camp and heard about it, you know, later on after camp was over. Uh, but it was one of those things where, uh, you know, he just couldn't help himself. I'm sure he was the same thing that you just said, living vicariously through Yeah. now his grandson going to the same camp that he spent so many years at. So, yeah, they had to tell him that he couldn't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's tough. I mean, when I hear about the dad's lodge and how the dads used to just be around, I'm like, that's so rough. I mean, because, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're trying to, like, let the kids be independent. You're trying to let them make their own decisions. And then their dad's out there watching their game and... Yeah, I remember that. And my dad came up once. I can't remember if it was my first year or second year for a few days. And he didn't go to camp there. Uh, mm -hmm. He was from St. Louis, not from Chicago. And uh, and I, I know he did it to support me. Uh, and he was not one of those dads. He was the exact opposite of those dads. He's yeah. the quiet one and would never you know, do that. But, yeah, it was kind of wild to have dads there sometimes coaching, yelling at their kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, calling plays out, you know, we got sure. coach, coaches there. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can see why that's a tradition that that's time came and passed yeah. for sure. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Um, so all in you're, you're a grown up now, arguably some of the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, big picture. How would you say camp affected your life? I think camp, um, affected my life. Um, in a couple ways. One, you know, for me, it was the first time I ever left home, so I had to learn to be uh, independent um, and to think for myself and to make new relationships. Um, I, my school that I went to was small, um, 
So you knew everybody, you knew their families, what have it. So this was like a new community for me, really, to be part of. Um, and I had to find my way. I mean, not being, you know, from somewhere other than Highland Park in those days, you had to make all new friends. So, you know, I made a ton of new friends from that, new relationships, mm-hmm. you know, and that that was fun. That was different. Um, you know, so I think that helped me grow as a person. Uh, it probably made me a little more uh, confident and independent, you know, back you know, as I think about it at 12, 13, 14, when I was there. Yeah. Um, and I think also it, it, um, it was a sense of, uh, you know, belonging to something. And, and for me it was, you know, probably initially it was this thing that you were almost expected to do because of your family origin. Sure. That I had to try myself to see if I liked it. And I did. And I, and I, I love my two years. Um, despite being heartbroken, you know, two years in a row uh, in collegiate week, uh, <laughs> leading the whole week and then losing on the last day. Oh, uh, wow. I think two years in a row. Oof. Um, but, um, you know, and that was the ultimate prize, of course, you know, and that was for many people, you know, that's not what defines you, but, like, that was, you know, that was a big deal. It's still a big deal. Um, Certainly. But when it was an eight-week camp, I mean, you were there all year waiting for that week and, you know, and... Uh, yeah, we were one of those heartbreaker teams that led all week and then fell apart, you know, oh. the last day. Um, Brutal. So, yeah, but uh, but I love my experience, and I, you know, was really excited and happy when, you know, my son wanted to go and my second son wanted to go. It was a no-brainer. So, yeah, I was happy. I love going, going up there to visit, and, you know, um, I've been to BPS uh, one year. Mm. I'd like to go again. Um because that was something, you know, that I wasn't being detached a little bit from the Ojibwe community, and that being largely something I would say that was guys a lot younger than me right. had really started it and organized it. I didn't really hear about it, and then I heard about it, you know, after moving to Deerfield and getting to know some people um, who I knew from back then but didn't know that well or were younger. Um, you know, I've tried to, you know, sort of... Uh, uh, like reconnect uh, with that community, and you know, it's it's a part of my life. It really is, and maybe I didn't realize it was this big of a part mm. because it was so limited uh, for a couple of years. That uh, you know, I've tried to stay connected to it and be involved with it and help promote it. You know, with you know, uh, with my kids going and when other families were thinking about going. You know. I tried to dissuade these notions and dispel these notions about what the camp is and isn't from right. what you heard. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm so glad that it's been so, you know, wildly successful um, and, you know, has enrollment so high and, you know, um, it's just great. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned BPS. Uh, the BPS guys, it's re- that trip, that whole thing that's been put together. So it's uh, Darren Annixter and Billy Schwartz kind of started the group mm-hmm. and they've handed it off to Todd Hayden now. He's right. doing a great job with it. But it's really cool to see guys from, and it's guys from all ages. Oh yeah. And, you know, like I said, it kind of started out with this core group, but then they've grown and they've gone younger, they've gone older and come back and get to have camp for a week. Weekend. It's such a great idea. Yeah. Uh, and I think um, between that and the post-camp, it's, it's a great way also to introduce other people to camp because there For are sure. people who go to BPS who never went to camp there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, who just are connected some way. 
and I've seen some of them now have their kids, you know, send their children there. So I think it's also a great opportunity for that. I mean, it's a great, you know, guy bonding trip where you, you know, weekend warriors and whether you're into <laughs> the basketball or you're going to play softball or play golf or mm-hmm. just hang, um, it's, it's a great, you know, few days and it's a great, great time. Yeah. And it has all that feel of camp that whatever thing you came, like you said, whatever thing you come up to do, that's cool. Everyone's right. just cool. You want to hang out? Awesome. Let's sit around the bench and talk for a while. Smoke right. a cigar. Right. It's great. Uh, so I always just ask for one or two great camp stories. To me, it's, I love the nicknames that came up uh, from camp. Uh, I'll give you a, the nickname thing, and then I'll, maybe I'll, I'll tell you a story. Uh, okay. That could be. So I had a nickname at camp uh, that was Ultra. So David Ultra Fine. Like, you remember the Ultra oh, Fine pens? Sure, yeah. I mean, that's where it came from. Okay. Um, and a counselor uh, by the name of Daryl Twos. He was, in those days, Ojibwe used to get a staple every year from UW Whitewater. Why, I don't know. But there was some recruiting <laughs> something there. Yeah. There were always a bunch of guys who were students. So he was not someone who was a, counselor, a camper there. Um, and he was a counselor. He named me that one year, and it stuck. It stuck with me. Only with camp friends. Nobody outside of the camp community has ever called me that. Um, <laughs> and uh, I still have friends today who, who call me that from our days at camp. No one else, though. Um, <laughs> and you could say that with a lot of people. I just remember nicknames. Yeah. Uh, some appropriate, some inappropriate, Certainly, right? Certainly, of course. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it was one of those things. And, like, you know, like people get nicknames at camp or in fraternities or whatever. It's that same sort of thing. So the nickname stuff always cracked me up, and I still get a laugh every time when there's a handful of people who call me by, say, Ultra instead mm. of David. That's great. The other story, it was it, this isn't a good camp story, but it, it's indicative of something that was uh, uh, taboo in those days, still taboo today, uh, I'm sure. Uh, but it was um, a food run. Ah. And uh, so this was one of those weekends where a dad came up uh, and, uh, you know, wanted to uh, bring food for the cabin. And uh, this dad did. Uh, in those days, there used to be an A&W root beer right on Highway 45. It's now called Steggy's. Oh, sure. Of course. That was an A&W root beer. Okay. It was there for years. Um, and so this dad went and got hamburgers and cheeseburgers and french fries for the entire cabin there was probably 12 14 kids in the cabin well um the meat that he got that night at a and w was somehow tainted <laughs> and one by one the entire cabin got sick oh wow so the lid was blown on the food run because <laughs> everyone was sick and up and it was disgusting in that cabin. Oh, wow. Uh, but, uh, yeah, bad food run made for bad uh, sickness in the cabin. And then there were those, myself included, who, while I don't think I got sick from the food, I got sick watching someone else of course, get sick. Of course. And it was just rapid, the whole <laughs> cabin. Uh, it's like a stand-by-me situation yeah, starts exactly. to happen. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, maybe that was another reason why the dad's lodge went away, but there was a... <laughs> 
a dad trying to, you know, be nice to his son and nice to his cabin mates, got us all food, and it just completely backfired. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time, coming out. This has been awesome. Thanks, Chris. Okay, that is it. Another great interview. Great time had by David and I. Really good conversation. Thank him so much for being on the podcast. As always, if you want to get in touch with the Camp Ojibwe History Podcast, you know how. Drop me an email at Christopher at CampOjibwaHistory.org or head over to the website, CampOjibwaHistory.org. Check some things out. Just finished posting all of the warriors for the rest of the 50s and all of the 60s. So now every warrior we have from 1938 to 1969 is posted online. You can click through, click through all the pages. There's a lot of cool stuff in there. I came to Chicago and I was afraid I was going to get a second blizzard in 10 days. I thought I was going to get the New York blizzard and get here just in time. But the weather gods were nice enough to look down and say, no, 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 that's enough for you. And a mighty Wetonka turned the snow into just torrential rain. So awesome. That's amazing. You guys keep listening. I'm going to see you next week, but right now I'm headed over to 1549 Arbor to the coolest cigar chalet on the North Shore. See you next week. <laughs>